Hello, everyone. Yeah, good seeing you guys. Uh, it was really good uh, having some time off together, um, so to speak, during the revival. Uh, and um, I hope if you're here, I hope you're blessed by that too. Thanks for being here. Um, hello to everybody here, as well as those of you who are joining uh, through a live stream. Uh, may we get to hear from God together. He's so good to us. I think I really felt that during the revival. Uh, he's here with us. He's walking with us uh, and as we, as a church, move forward. So um, we will hear from God's word uh, from the book of Ephesians. So we started the series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, last week, uh, we, start, uh, we looked at uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And we'll continue on in the same book. Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. I'll read for us. Uh, you can probably look in your own uh, Bible or it should be on the screen. So follow along with me as I read the God's word for us. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. That is God's word. Uh, please uh, bow your heads with me one more time. Uh, as I pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this time. Uh, what a blessing that we get to hear from your word, uh, without which we will die spiritually, and uh, we will be so lost. Uh, but you love us so much so that you uh, have given us your word to equip us, to encourage us, to unite your church. So please do just that. Um, and as Eleanor prayed, earlier, uh, may you open all of our hearts uh, as there may be a lot of distractions um, as we walk through our lives, um, including my own heart, so that um, your Holy Spirit may work powerfully in our hearts so we can hear from you and uh, be transformed ultimately. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, with that, let's go into the time of sermon together. Uh, three, uh, three points, as usual, uh, just to help you follow along. So let me share the outline with you first. Um, for the title, uh, it's The Great Blessings in Jesus Christ. Under that, three points. The Redemption in Christ. Uh, and second, Hope in Christ. And third, the inheritance in Christ. First, 
the redemption in Christ. I'm going to start from verse 3, which is uh, part of the passage that we read last week, uh, studied rather. Uh, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, we saw last week that it's, it's a worship statement. You know, Paul is worshiping God uh, because he acknowledged, he's acknowledging that uh, God has blessed us uh, in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And uh, immediately, you know, we saw last week in, in the uh, following verses that, that Paul was explaining what these blessings are in terms of what God the Father did or has done. And in today's passage, we'll see that Paul will explain you know, what these blessings are in terms of what God the Son, Jesus Christ, accomplished and next week, uh, as you probably expect, uh, we will see what God the Holy Spirit uh, is doing. What that means is this spiritual blessing that we're looking at uh, is really a gift from the triune God. He created it, he prepared it, he wrapped it for us. So today, look at what God the Son, Jesus Christ, accomplished for us, for our blessings. So let's go. Verse 7. In, Christ, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So in Christ, believers have redemption. Let's define the word redemption. I think we hear that word a lot in church, but uh, I think we need to know what that exactly means. Redemption means setting someone free, releasing someone with the payment of a ransom. Just think of a hostage situation. You know, let's say uh, criminals are holding someone hostage and they're uh, requesting $1 million. Um, but, you know, it's a big number, but the family member is so in love, obviously, with the hostage, so they would pay that money. And in return for that $1 million, the hostage, you know, gets released. So that's the concept of redemption. And in the text, the ransom is identified. It says, through his blood. Christ's blood is the ransom price for that transaction. And the next phrase, the forgiveness of our trespasses, uh, indicates that the thing that the, the believers are redeemed from has to do with sin. So in summary, God the Father rescued believers from the bondage of sin by paying the ransom price of Christ's blood. And now, if we just stop there, it just is very shallow. It's just kind of a thing that we just repeat in church. So we got to go deeper than that by asking the question, you know, why uh, does the ransom price for sin have to be Christ's blood. Why is that? We're going to go to Genesis. In Genesis, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed him, uh, God declared that uh, there will be death. So that's the penalty for disobedience, penalty for sin. And then later we see in the Old Testament law, uh, we see God graciously providing a system where uh, you know, sinful humans could approach God and not die 
by offering animal sacrifices. What that signifies is that, again, the penalty for sin is death, so the animals, uh, especially animals without any blemish, is sacrificed, killed, the blood is shed, and that their death take the place of the death of the people that are trying to approach God. And, and therefore, the sin is atoned for and the people can have relationship with God. But of course, logically, the lives of animals cannot be you know, equal to the lives of humans. So the system in the Old Testament is really pointing towards something more permanent and ultimate. So we come to Jesus Christ. He came and he shed his blood on the cross. And he is fully human and fully God. And he's fully human without sin and any blemish like those animals. And therefore he could die for another human. And at the same time, he's fully God, you know, meaning he's the being of infinite value. And therefore he could cover the lives of multitudes, not just one person. You know, it's perfect sacrifice. That's who Jesus is. He atoned for the sins of his followers. And now, with that established, so we understand why Jesus had to die, why he's the, the ransom price. And then Paul goes further uh, to explain redemption a little more. He says, again, uh, there's forgiveness of trespasses. Uh, I think it's probably easier uh, for us to take the word forgiveness as more of a cancellation as opposed to, uh, you know, forgiving your offenders. Uh, meaning, just think of, like, loan forgiveness, right? Like, I'm sure, you know, uh, students and young adults, you know, who might be carrying loan for, uh, student loans, uh, unfortunately. And loan forgiveness would be awesome news, right? And when that happens, you know, you don't have to pay any of the, the principles and interest, any penalties. Uh, that's what it means uh, when Paul says uh, forgiveness of trespasses. Trespasses, active sin, active disobedience. Because you are redeemed from um, sin with the ransom fully paid, you are set free from any penalty of sin, namely guilt, shame, and final death in hell, all pay for. That's what the redemption means. And before we go any further, uh, notice with me one more thing in this verse. There it says, we have redemption and forgiveness, right? It, has, uh, it says, we have it. The word have is in present tense, right? If you think about it, Paul could have used the other words. You know, he could have said, we were redeemed, right? Same thing. But he used the word uh, we have these things because he wants to emphasize that this is a present, continual reality. Meaning that if you're a believer, you must you know, every day affirm and activate and exercise this reality of full redemption. If I can use the language that we used last week from the Ordo Solitus, uh, it's a justification. You know, Believers are to claim the status of their justification every moment. You know, review, what's justification? 
Uh, it is the current verdict by God on the believer that they are righteous, sinless, because they're covered with Christ's righteousness. And their sins, again, have been atoned for. So this is a reality. And Paul is saying, by saying, we have it, make sure that you activate it, you preach to yourself every moment so that it is a reality. And I think that's important because some of us are crushed very easily by our own failures. And some of us try to even make up for our failures, whatever that means, by trying harder, uh, by doing some religious things or doing charities or all these good things as if to atone ourselves. But no human efforts, my friends, can free you from the weight of guilt and shame. It has to be only our faith in the perfect sacrifice of Jesus and believe in your heart that God has indeed declared you clean, perfect by justification. That's how you live victoriously and confidently and joyfully and freely. That's what Christian freedom is all about. I think I shared this story before, but if you go to the next slide, uh, this picture of uh, this person named uh, Hiro uh, Onoda. Um, so it's a story about this Japanese soldier during World War II. Uh, he was fighting the war for Japan in the Philippines when uh, Japan uh, finally surrendered to the Allied uh, forces. But apparently the communication got cut off. So Onoda never officially heard the news of the surrender. Uh, so he stayed in the jungle of uh, Philippines for none other than 20, next 29 years, uh, engaging in guerrilla warfare in the region, thinking that uh, the war never ended. And finally, in 1974, his former commanding officer flew there to prove uh, by showing himself to him that indeed uh, Japan has lost, and now it's a different world. And only then he surrendered to the Philippines and you know, started living a normal life in Japan, I believe. And that's crazy, isn't it? You know, he fought needless fights for 29 years on his own, by himself, uh, thinking that he, he has to win this war by his own efforts, when in reality, you know, a different nation has already won the war and, you know, he could have just been part of the new reality and living free of life. And I'm sharing that because I think some of us live as if you have to win the battles by your own strength, when in reality, Christ has won the war for you. You can simply live in faith, live in security, live in confidence, in his victory. And here's what I mean, just to kind of clarify that. If you're a believer in Christ, you know, you're given a new heart regeneration, like we said last week. So you do fight. You have that nature, new nature now. Um, and, and by the power of the Spirit in you, you keep fighting. You, you try to live for God. And that's sanctification that's, that's necessary. And yet, when you fail, we're bound to fail. Uh, you know, you do grieve because of your sin, but you do not dwell there. You run 
to justification. You run to the reality of your full redemption in Christ and receive grace and enjoy the status of righteousness. And you get back up, you go forward, and you fail, you receive grace again. You get back up because you realize I am perfectly clean in God's sight. We have the blessing in Jesus Christ of the complete redemption. May we know that our lives will be very different if we do. The redemption in Christ. Second, the hope in Christ. Verse 8, he goes on. It says, His grace, which he has lavished upon us, just pour his grace upon us, blessings, in all wisdom and insight. So he, God, you know, poured undeserved favor, which is grace on sinners, again, by giving us the complete redemption. We just read that. But we, you will see in the next few verses that the same grace goes further than just that status change. So verse, verse 9, let's look together. It says, so the grace now makes known, in, in fact, grace has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. So God has made known to the believers the mystery of his will. And the word mystery right away, I mean, we're familiar with this word. You know, it's something, it's referring to something that's hidden. So you cannot fully know it. That's what mystery means. So what he's saying is that God's will about something that we're about to see has been hidden in the past. It was a secret. uh, But now God has revealed it to the believers and not only that, it says, you know, wisdom, all wisdom, every kind of wisdom and insight, God provided these things to us too so that we can understand and apply this mystery into our lives. And just maybe think of this, think of it this way. You know, we, we hear of, um, you know, the, what do you call that, uh, classified information, right? You know, uh, the presidents and high-ranking officers have the access to these you know, national secrets. And imagine that the president, for some reason, wanted to share this, you know, this information with you, the top secret classified information. So he you know, gives you the security clearance, and then you know, he brings you over, over to the Oval Office and started kind of chatting with you and giving you all the secrets of you know, the US from the founding in you know 17, 1700s that'd be crazy and, and that's basically what paul is saying about what happened you know except god is not present he's a father it's as if you know god is god was kind of you know uh kind of you know a little playing with us even like he was kind of blindfolding our eyes and then he opened our eyes and now we see something that he wanted us to see in, in that intimacy. So the mystery has been revealed. The secret has been told to the believers. And natural question now is, what is it? What is the mystery that we know now as believers? Verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. 
So the mystery that we now know is none other than the perfect future in Christ. There, the fullness of time, of course, refers to the culmination of history at the end of the age when Jesus comes back. And when, when he comes back, it says he will unite all things in the universe and himself. What that means right away, even before we know what that exactly means, we know that things are not unified. Things are in disarray, messy right now. And that's because of sin. Ever since Genesis 3, when sin entered, the universe has been messy. It's been um, you know, in disarray. And let me give you examples of that picture, that reality. You know, for example, humans fight other humans. There are arguments, slanders, gossips, hurts, even murders when anger becomes, uh, you know, bears fruit. And on a bigger scale, wars happen because it started from arguments from people now to nations. Another example, humans are tormented by evil spiritual forces that's real. And also humans are tormented by all kinds of diseases. Man, we're in pandemic. People are dying and going to hospitals. It's not meant to be like that. But not only there's mental illnesses, that's very serious. And ultimately, there's a reality of death. And there are also, you know, climate and weather abnormalities. And there's also, you know, enmity in the animal kingdom and, you know, ecological system as well that's threatening humanity as well. So all these examples show us that the world is broken. Sin messed everything up. But the Bible, here's the best part. Here's what Paul is trying to tell us. The Bible says, especially in Revelations chapters 19 through 21, it describes Jesus coming back like a victorious warrior king. He will first defeat all the humans who have opposed him and his rule. And then he will deal with and cast Satan and his demons who have tormented humans all history into the lake of fire and sulfur. And from there on, now, he will put the creation in order so that there's no more disruption, but instead there's perfect peace and bliss. Please read with me. Um, I'll read for us, but just follow with me these two uh, uh, passages that describe this perfect universe under Christ. First, Isaiah 11, 6-9. It says, just imagine that in your head. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with a young goat. The calf and the lion and fattened calf together. A little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand on, on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Perfect peace. The next verse, famous verse, but glorious verse. Revelation 21, 4. God, he will, just imagine that, 
wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Perfection under Christ. That's what it means that he will unite everything under himself. So you see, God the Father is lavishing his grace by opening the eyes of the believers to see the reality of what's coming up in Christ so that, so that what? They can persevere in the present. God is infusing the believers with hope in this hopeless world. People looking for hope these days, aren't they? Here's the hope that believers have in Christ. This movie called uh, Shawshank Redemption, okay, no reaction. How many of you know this movie? Okay, more than half. Oh, that makes me feel a little better. Uh, I gotta always check these days, man. The movie, uh, just you know, for those of you who haven't watched this movie, um, it's about prisoners who are, you know, to some degrees, unjustly held in prison. And one such prisoner named uh, Andy, uh, played by Tim Robbins, um, you know, he escapes the prison in a very dramatic way. He just rips his shirt and just very dramatic way. And now he's in this paradise uh, in Mexico, uh, enjoying his freedom. On the other hand, his uh, friend uh, named Red, uh, played by Morgan Freeman, uh, gets out of prison uh, in a more standard way, you know, on a parole. Uh, but he really struggles to survive because you know he, it's a very different world uh, than the, the confinement of the prison. It's harsh, and you know, he just lost purpose. Like, why am I living? You know, before I could just follow the rules in the prison, but now I don't know what to live for. He's hopeless. But then, if you go to the next slide, uh, Morgan Freeman comes across a secret note, mystery note, sent from Andy, uh, inviting him to come join him in Mexico. And Andy says, "It's a famous line." He says, "Remember, Red." Hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. At that, you, know, you can see Red's spirit coming alive, and he takes heart, and he breaks his parole, and crosses the, the U.S.-Mexico border, and heads to the, the beach town in Mexico where Andy is. In the final scene, if you go to the next slide, um, you know, it shows Andy and Red embracing one another, just really happy to see each other. Uh, with the, the beautiful blue Pacific Ocean in the background, showing that they're enjoying their freedom together. Just like that, Jesus Christ, like Andy perhaps, you know, entered the prison called uh, the broken and sinful world, but he you know, broke out of that, achieving salvation and freedom for his followers through his death and resurrection. And now he's preparing, waiting for us, preparing a wonderful and perfect world for the believers. And he wants them to hope in it, hope for it, and find strength in it on the way there. And when we get there, 
you know, we will embrace him as well. And he will indeed wipe away all our tears. That is promise, and I believe that. If I don't, I don't know how I can live each day. Hope, again, is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. Believers have the blessing of hope in Christ. And third and last, the inheritance in Christ. Just follow with me. Verses 11 and 12, it says, in him, again, in, you see, in, in Christ, in him, in him, it's repeated on purpose. In Christ, all through him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Uh, here, I usually try not to disagree with the translation that I use, uh, but I have to disagree. Uh, and let me explain. I'm, I'm doing this because I want to be fair to you. I don't want you to just assume that I'm right. I want to share with you why I got to that conclusion. So if you go to the next slide, um, there are two major uh, camps uh, in this debate. Uh, ESV translates it as this word. Uh, it's one Greek word. We have obtained an inheritance. But the other camp that I side with, uh, they say that uh, it, it has to be translated that we were obtained by God as inheritance. The difference, obviously, is you know, active versus passive. And I go with uh, that option because in Greek, it's in passive voice. So it makes sense. And also, another reason I follow that is because if you go to the next slide and uh, see verse 12, uh, it says, as a result of verse 11, as a result of you know, us you know, uh, being made uh, inheritance of God, it says, we become the praise of his glory. We become. Uh, I think it doesn't really make sense if we say we, get, we receive inheritance and then we become the praise. No, if we were made, we ourselves are made inheritance, then we become the praise of God. So that's why I sided with that. And, and um, you can follow with me there. And so, with that settled, what Paul is saying is this. That, again, just going back to the beginning of the passage that we have been studying. What Paul is saying is that God redeemed redemption, redeemed believers through Christ, verse 7, and that he revealed to them the promise of the final destiny in Christ so that, now the, the current uh, verses, so that God could claim them, claim the believers as his own, saying, God is saying, you are mine. You are my heritage. You are my inheritance. You are my own possession. In other words, he went through a lot of troubles, you know, of redeeming us, showing us the future in order to make the believers his own, to say, you are mine. And the, the rest of the verses, to kind of clarify what it means, it says, uh, you know, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, meaning that he didn't do this, you know, like uh, out of fickle plan. He planned out strategy. He planned out the whole process, and he is executing, making it happen. 
Again, why? So that he will claim the believers as mine. God did it all for us. It's all planned out. And now, this actually reminds us of how God treated Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament. So after he redeemed them from the slavery of Egypt, and also while making promises, you know, there's some similarity there, right? While making promises to them, he said this. Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 8. He said to Israel, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession, your mind, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you. Did you catch that? It's saying that Israel did nothing to deserve this. In fact, they're actually fewer. They're not that mighty. They're not that prominent in, in history as they are. But God chose them just because he loved them. And now going back to our passage, you see what I'm getting at here? When God says, I plan all these things for you so that you can be mine. And I did it, not because you're great. Not because you did anything to deserve that. Not because you know, you're attractive. But it's because I love you. And that's why, my friends, Verse 12, it it says, we are praised to his glory. Praise means we're saying all the credits go to God. Again, because we didn't do anything. But God loved us for some strange, marvelous reason. We didn't deserve it. He just showered his love on us. He chose us with his own pleasure. So all praise go to God. Uh, I'm trying to look for an illustration for this, but man, you know, because it's, it's love that is none other than anything else in the world, I can only find it in the Bible. Um, book of Hosea, uh, if you read through it, it's a very interesting book in the Bible. You know, Hosea is a prophet. You know, prophets normally uh, you know, speak God's words, but God commands him to not only speak, but also act out the message. And very interestingly, God commands Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer uh, who would be unfaithful to him. Can you imagine? God is saying, hey, she's going to be unfaithful to you. She's going to cheat on you, but marry her. But here's the reason why. So he commands him to marry the woman, and then they have kids, and for sure, to be, to be sure, it turns out that the wife has indeed become unfaithful. Not just that to, to Hosea, but in fact, she has become a prostitute, being sold in a public market. And now here's the crazy part. In chapter 3, God commands Hosea to pay 
the ransom money out of his own pocket to buy her back. And God explains that he's doing this because he wants to illustrate to Israel his love for them. And that's not just for Israel. It's an illustration for us too. The ransom money, we looked at it earlier. God gave Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God, to people who are not impressive, in fact, wicked in our hearts, unfaithful to God, always rebellious. But God still planned everything out for people like that. Jesus came, paid the ransom price of his own life on the cross, gruesome death on the cross. And because of that, now believers have complete redemption, justification, freedom, liberty, and have a glorious promise of just restoring everything in the future. And God now calls us, you are mine. And as you understand that, as you, as you really try to see God's heart in this, man, what love, what love. Going back to, again, Hosea, <laughs> buying her back with his own money, even though she cheated on him and probably continued to cheat on him. Just like that, God, even though he knows the frailty of our hearts, we will break his heart every single day, every single second. He bought us back with the ransom money of his own son. And he's saying, I love you and you are mine. I'll never let you go. And in response, all we can say, praise be to God. How can this be? Let's pray together. Could we just time to uh, soak in the word that we just read and heard? Whenever the Bible is preached and declared, the message is for you, for each one of you, God's grace, God's means of grace for you. And he's saying that he loves you that much. Even though he knows your failures, he would come to your rescue, buy you back. The precious ransom money, ransom price. We earlier mentioned a million dollars. But we know the blood of Christ cost much more than trillion. Cannot calculate the value of our king. Dying like a criminal, pierced, bled, just so he could be the ransom money. Just so that we can say we're free from our sins. No more shame. We can keep our heads up high as we live for God. And now we have new destiny, hope waiting for us. And we have the assurance that we are God's. Let's soak that in. I'm going to be praying that Holy Spirit will work in our hearts right now.
let's focus in. Let's enjoy God's love for us. That is not dependent on my or your performance. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Pray um, one more time. Um, I'll close for us, and then we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. But uh, let's take this time to um, process and again soak in uh, the word, even um, you know, shown in the song too. That in Christ, my hope is found. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, we live. He accomplished everything for us. May we find our rest in Him. And also, I just want to encourage you to, like we practice during the revival, just be honest with God, even now. And um, and one of that one of the examples could be just be real about how you feel, you know, uh, and ask God to uh, give you more faith, because He can do that. That's what it means that He is in control and sovereign over our lives. Let's pray a little bit, and then I'll close for us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for Jesus Christ. Um, truly, He accomplished everything, or everything for us, and without Him, nothing could be accomplished. Without Him, there will be no hope. Without Him, there will be no confidence. Uh, there will be no even faith. But because He became our ransom price, uh, redeeming us and buying us back from our uh, wicked ways, um, and then You are giving us Your hope for the future, so we can live differently in the present. And all in all, You are calling us Your own possession sons and daughters God may we bask in these blessings day by day moment by moment relying on you every step of the way and as we do that um, you know, uh, each person and each life group each you know gatherings may our whole church uh, be built the foundation of your grace relying on you every step of the way thank you Lord for your provision and blessings we are so blessed in Christ we are we can be content in our lives thank you Lord um, let's end our time together with the reciting of Lord's Prayer our Father Far in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.